Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. We have our very second one now and uh, last time you heard myself, Shabal Raish, and the story of how Perusia began. This week we're going to interview Mark Griffin, so it's his turn to be drilled. I'm looking forward to it. G'day, Mark. G'day, Shabelle. This will take nowhere near as long as your story. <laughs> and g'day, Phil. Shabelle, how's it going? Yeah, very well. I, I love the mug that you've got here today. Oh, St. Thomas Aquinas, one of my favourite saints. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. And I know it was his feast day uh, not long ago, so, you know, a few yeah, weeks two, ago. two days ago, I think. There you go. Yeah. At the time of the recording. And um, Mark. Yes. You've got EWTN, Mark. EWTN. A shameless plug for our wonderful sponsor, EWTN. Love it. Love the partnership. And look, I had to, I had to, I'm wearing blue and white, blue and white. The Bulldogs, as you know, I'm born in Canterbury Hospital and I had to fly the colours of the Bulldogs. Um, that's part of my history. And for those not listening, so for those not watching, there is a video version of this, which we can edit that out of later. And we'll also have to edit this audio part out as well. What, we don't like that? the mention of the Bulldogs. Ah, oh, Okay. <laughs> But blue and white, I'd like to think blue and white is quite um, symbolic of Our Lady. I was going to say, you're going to say yeah. Marian, Yes, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. hence, there's no coincidence, but Perusia has blue and white as well in it and a bit of black. But no, we're not going to go there. Hang on, so is this part of it or not? This is definitely <laughs> part of it. But let's dive in. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Griffin. Yes. It's your turn. We, we should get to know who are you, the man behind the operations manager at Perusia. Uh, you've been here since 2015. 2015, yeah. So, wow, five years now. And uh, you are a father of seven. Seven. And, Seventh and is on the way, absolutely, yes. yeah. And, Due um, in May 2020. Wow, let's pray for that. That's exciting. Absolutely. Let's get to know more about you. Um, so let's go a little bit. Right back to the beginning. I was let's born at a very early age. How, <laughs> how far back are we going? <laughs> yeah, just a quick snapshot, your upbringing and all that. So you're, you're Okay, so I was born... Born Catholic, born and bred, uh, born in Sydney, uh, not too far from where we're recording this actually, uh, in Borkham Hills in Sydney. Um, went to a local um, Catholic school, that's the Diocesan Catholic School in our parish for a couple of years. Uh, mum and dad felt that they wanted to focus more on, on our formation in the faith. So we were taken out of that. We were put into the Pirate School system into Redfield College, which is strangely where we're recording this. Yes, this is our, place. This is the Perusia head office at Redfield College, and we'll come to that how that all came about later. But, but yeah. So uh, from eight years old, seven years old, I was attending here at Redfield and right through the system. Uh, finished school after one term of year eleven. Uh, decided that school wasn't for me anymore, and I didn't need the HSC to do what I needed to do. That being said, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But uh, I left school, uh, started working for the Commonwealth Bank, uh, just down the road from here. Uh, I was spent seven years in the Commonwealth Bank and worked in three different branches. And my final role there was the assistant manager of a branch up at Lake Macquarie up oh, in wow. Newcastle. Uh, nice and from fun. there, I got really sick of the, the sales environment, the, the need to reach numbers on a page rather than service the people in front of us. Because I, I really enjoyed the customer service aspect of it. Uh, and I was beginning to dislike that because that came with the sales aspect. So I felt it was probably time to move on. Uh, just at the time where the Catholic Development Fund, which is, I suppose you could call it the church's bank, where they hold accounts for, for parishes and schools and church agencies, they were, they were looking for someone in the Sydney and the Broken Bay Diocese. So I moved to the Catholic Development Fund uh, and spent five years working there. How many years was it at Commonwealth Bank? Seven years at Commonwealth Bank. Seven now. Uh, okay. And I then had a, a banking background. So I was I was the lead teller at a branch when I was 16 years old. So wow. I, I had experience in, in the bank. And 
when I got really sick of that sales environment, a similar position, but for the church opened up. And to me, as someone who's brought up Catholic and someone who was brought up to, to work within the church and support the church, uh, that was very appealing. So I applied and got that job and, and spent five years doing that. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that for a lot of the time. Uh, unfortunately, the politics within the diocese at the time was really starting to nag at me. And, uh, and that's where I had to decide, do I want, because I was getting really bitter working for the church. It just, it didn't compute for me that I would I mean, be bitter in a role working for the church. church. Yeah. I mean, go Surely figure. Not. <laughs> not. No, I don't. But it was okay. really starting to affect me. And, and there were some wonderful people in the diocese. Yeah, there were some really, really good people and people are still there today, um, doing amazing work for the church. And it was nothing against any of those people in the church that I had, but I just felt there was such a, a business focus, which I acknowledge has to be there because there is a business wing of it. But to me, that was clouding my involvement in the role I had in the church, and I, I really needed to get away from that. That being said, throughout those years from school and into when I first started working, I I suppose I, I practiced my faith. I never missed Mass on Sunday except for illness, um, and I wasn't able to attend, but I wouldn't say I was living the faith that well. I, I, I had a fairly good... I suppose, upbringing the faith to the point of, I, I, it was, it's still looking back, it seems like a very basic understanding, mm. enough to get by. Um, and for me at the time, that was enough. And I didn't really push myself to study any further. I know when I left school, dad told me that, all right, you can leave school, but if you, if you leave that environment, go into the world, the only thing that they ask of me is that I continue spiritual reading, which I have to say, I didn't keep up my end of the bargain at that point in time. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. I, I, I didn't keep up that end of the bargain, but I have definitely improved since then. Um, that was when I was 16 and I said, yeah, what, whatever it takes to get me out of this school because I really wasn't thriving in the school environment anymore. And I, I just, I suppose the the institutional style of learning where you've got 30 people in a room and 30 different learning styles and the one teacher, the teachers weren't teaching to my learning style. Mm. And I really struggled in that environment. And like I say, my, my faith was there, but it, it wasn't a strong faith. It was it was strong enough to keep me going back every week. And, and when I moved out of home, I continued going to Mass. And I knew the importance of that, but I wouldn't say I had a deep understanding of the faith. Mm. Um, I, I felt that going to Mass on Sunday, I'm a good Catholic. That that, that was basically where I was it's at. It's not I, uncommon. I mean, that's uh, – and you would be forgiven to think that if, if that's around you and, and that's just – you're doing your commitment, Sunday Mass, and yeah, that's what, right. what more there is there. And back back in those days, I say back in those days, it makes me feel yeah. old. And <laughs> But back at the time, I, I didn't read the scriptures. I, I just, mm. I, we, we would pull out a Bible at an important feast and, and you know, read the Gospel of Luke on Christmas Eve about um, the nativity narrative or, or something like that. But we wouldn't, in, in family or, or even in school at the time, there wasn't a focus on the scripture. There wasn't a focus on growing in the faith, a religion lesson, you learned a bit of the catechism um, but, and you even learnt about how religion interacts with other religions, mm -hmm. but we didn't go deep into the Catholic faith and what the Catholic faith was and how we were to live that Catholic faith out in our lives. So one thing looking back, that is actually a re regret I have that I found this now and I'm playing catch up. I wished I'd have known a little bit earlier in my life that how important that that, that education in the faith is in addition to the education in everything else. And I know mm. that in the pirate school system, we're so blessed in this school system that there is a focus on that more than you get everywhere else. And I, I really value the fact that I was in these schools. I might have been lukewarm about it, but we did have recollections yeah. and we did have regular interactions with the priests. And 
and we did have that available to us. And I actually hate to think where I would be if I hadn't at least had that sort of formation level. And I'm really grateful to the schools that my family were all in. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of eight. I've got three brothers and four sisters wow. and we all went through this system. And I'm really grateful that we did that. All of, all of my family is still practicing Catholics and are now bringing up their own families in, in that Catholic faith. And, and you hear so often stories about people who they're in a family of however many siblings and some siblings have practiced their faith and other siblings have fallen away. And, and every family has its issues and just like our family has its issues, but we're very blessed that that was never one of them. We never had a situation where someone was away from the faith to that extent that they didn't even feel it necessary to be going to Sunday mass. So so we, are, we are, I'm very grateful for that in the upbringing, but I just wish there was more of a focus on growing in the faith, not just learning the ABCs, but actually going deeper into it. Yeah. Did, how did, um, um, tell us as you, so the moment you then took your faith a bit more seriously, did you, did you meet your wife um, before that transition or after? I think you could say I did. Um, okay. I, I met my wife actually through my older sister. They, they met at a retreat. Uh, down at Varaville, here just south of Sydney, and um, they decided that they um, that they needed to be living in the same place. My sister was doing a job. My wife was a, a registered nurse at the time, straight out of uni, and they decided that the, she might have even still been finishing uni and, and on on prac in the hospital. But they they decided they needed to be living in the same sort of area. So they started. They moved into a flat together, and 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 that's how I met my wife Anne. Um, I I remember the day that I met her. Um, I was sitting on the ground completely bald head, had it completely shaved off, completely indifferent to the fact that she was even in the room. My sister came introducing her to the family and I sort of just grunted in that direction, hi, how are you going? And then went straight back to the PlayStation. And so I don't know what she saw in me, but at the same time, that was the outward appearance. But at the same time, something triggered in me at that moment. I don't know what it was. I still can't explain to this day. But at that moment, I thought, I'm going to marry her. I don't know what it was. And even months down the track, I hadn't made any move in that direction and and my great aunt was over for dinner one night and, and, and Anne was there just with my sister visiting because they'd come over from their house. And, and my great aunt nudged my mum and she said, what's wrong with your boys? Why have another of, none of them asked her out yet? And but, yeah, I, was, I was shy. But yeah, there was something, I don't know what it was the first time we met, that she obviously couldn't have seen anything in me because I didn't offer anything yeah. worth seeing. <laughs> but I saw something in her. And She's an absolute I just, saint. I just um, knew it. Wow. Yeah, well, we've proven that because we've been married for 10 years. She must be a saint but yeah. into the 11th year now. But, but yeah, so at that time I hadn't, I, I was practicing the faith. I never left the, the practice of the faith, but I wouldn't say I was living it well. Um, I suppose having met her, that was probably about the time um, I started attending the, uh, the young adult group in the parish where, where she and my sister had met. And I started going into that a little bit more and there were all these nudgings, oh, are they going to get together and all this. And, and I'd, I'd already made up my mind that we wouldn't. I was just way too shy to do anything about it. I'd, I'd never had a girlfriend before and I was 20, 23 at the time. I was, very, I was very selfish. I lived for myself. Even growing up at the family dinner table, I'd, I'd come, I wouldn't interact. I'd sit there, I'd have the meal and I'd disappear and shut the door and I wouldn't interact with the family as much as I probably should have in a big family, the, the whole thing, you know, mm. with so many kids that the, the interaction is, is how a big family thrives. And, and the one thing you really look back and think, oh, how blessed were we to have had that? And I think it's fair to say for a lot of years, I didn't contribute favorably to that. And anything I did contribute was negative or um, dismissive and get me out of here as quick as I can. And yeah, was, I, uh, sort of as you were an adult, this is as oh. I, as I'd finished school, I was still trying to find what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't really have, 
uh, a plan for my life. I, I, I knew I loved sport. I knew I wasn't good enough to be a professional athlete. Secretly, I knew that. I, I didn't tell other people that. I was still <laughs> trying for it. But, but um, What sport? Cricket, yeah, cricket, soccer, anything like I was, wow. I was in all sports. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it didn't really matter. I just loved it. But because I wasn't good enough to compete at a level where I was all about competing, I was very good at sitting down watching it too. And um, I got probably a little too good at, to that, at that. And you know, I just, I was living for myself. I was living a selfish life. And where's the next entertainment coming? What can I tune into next? And yeah, I, I suppose that when I first met Anne, I started attending these young adult groups. I suppose that brought me out of my shell just a little bit and opened my eyes a little bit to the fact that there are people similar age who are out there talking about the faith. And I really credit that that young adult group down at Barrowville for at mm. least getting me to consider these things, um, to consider the faith and consider growing in the faith. So, yeah, the importance, I feel. Um, mm. Faith yeah. formation and, and, and getting together, it creates opportunities for other Catholics to get together. Um, yeah, I think Anne, valuable. it's safe to say, made her mark. Made her mark. Well and truly. <laughs> Can we get it that bit out too? <laughs> no, I like that one. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it. We're going to be hearing a lot more about those field jokes um, as we go through this podcast. Funny. But it, where are we at now? We, so you're married? Not yet. Not yet. So no. at this so point, yeah, tell us. Uh, I got the courage. Uh, we probably met in the February. By the November, I asked her out. And she had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and had pretty much given up on the hope that I ever would. And so she jumped at the chance before I could even finish asking her. And we went on our first date. That was the November. The February, we were engaged. And the following October, wow. we were married. So from the time I asked her out to the wedding day was 11 months. Hmm. So, but like I said, I had known, somehow I had known <laughs> since the February before that, yeah, that's the person. Why just, you were glued to the screen. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. There was something. I don't know what it was. It was, it was bizarre. I still to this Fate. day can't work it out. Wow. Um, but she was the one and I knew it and I just had to drum up the courage to actually ask her because she was waiting on it because she obviously had the same feeling at some point between then did and when I asked out, her. I'm interested to think if she brought that up when you first met. Did she bring that incident up Not the PlayStation on? one, no. No, no. okay. No. What does she when think, I've yeah. brought it up, she'll acknowledge oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what's oh man i'd be interested to see what her view of this whole story is like has she has future she, episode maybe. <laughs> yeah we've got to get in on here oh that would be cool <laughs> but uh okay well so at married. that point we're we're married um we and and still a registered nurse at this point and yeah. i was working for the catholic development fund at the time and within three months four months oh, Three or four months we were expecting this is early tw uh, early 2010 now and um number one's on the way so we're, we're the process we're having to all right we're, we're we're renting now do we want to buy a house now's the time let's get ourselves set up um because obviously this all this all happens very quickly and you think oh we're not we're not quite ready but you know okay. you're, you're ready when you need to be but um so yeah so we we bought a house down south of sydney down in campbelltown um and three days before our first anniversary um, our first son Luke was born and Luke is actually named after my brother who passed away when he was a few hours old back in 1991 so oh, wow. so Luke carries his name on so he was born in 2010 in October 2010 um, and a few weeks after he was born we realized that he had a, a condition um, called sagittal craniosynostosis repeat after me and that basically the the sagittal suture the soft spot in the top of the baby's head he's he's already fused over when they're born they're still that soft spot but his head had already fused and 
they were worried that as his head continued to grow because there wasn't the movement allowed for that growth to happen that he would um he would eventually have his organs his brain underneath his skull start getting crushed under the under the pressure because his head couldn't grow um so he the decision was made that he had to have surgery and um that was ooh, just before but he was about four months old three months old when we first discovered it and in that time uh, for the next few months we were working out the best option and the solution was that they would basically cut his head open and put springs to slowly force his head apart over time. And then later we would have to have a surgery to remove those. Wow. And not long, a few weeks before we had to officially lock that in, we came up with another solution. Um, it was still pretty drastic, but it didn't have the necessity of a follow-up surgery and he didn't have these springs forcing his head open over time. And they came up with a, a solution where they would cut open his skull and just remove the skull on top and then stitch him up with no bone in his head. Uh, no bone on top of his head. So I, I remember the day we, we first saw him in the recovery after he came out of surgery. He had this big white bandage on his head. It just said in black marker across the top, no bone, just to let the, the nurses and those caring for him know that they had to be really careful um, mm. with that. And over time, the idea was that his head would now be able to grow naturally, but also it would eventually grow together again to the point where it was completely formed. I think even to this day, he might have a tiny little soft spot at the top of okay. his head. Mm -hmm. And he's got the big battle scar to, to, um, to brag about too. So, but uh, his wow. hair is well and truly growing over it now. But, mm. but that was really challenging. As first time parents, and he mm. was six months old, that when he had the surgery, he actually had the surgery on Tuesday of Holy Week. And by um, Holy Thursday, no, yeah, Holy Thursday, he was... He was out and his head had swollen so big, it was nearly as big as ours. There was that much swelling and his eyes were completely closed. You couldn't see his eyes. And Good Friday, we didn't get to the Good Friday service. We went and did a rosary out in the garden there at the hospital. And then by Easter Sunday, he was just starting to improve and you could see his eyes ever so slightly. And by Easter Monday, he was home mm -hmm. and bouncing around. So it's incredible the recovery of a child that age. But yeah, that was really confronting. Uh, as first-time parents, and we're still at that point, first-time parents, he's, he's six months old, we're, we're still only married a year and a half at that point, and we're still learning our own relationship and how we work together. So that was a really, it was a good challenge to have first up, um, and something that tests our relationship and tests our communication and our ability to work together on a common cause. And yeah, it, it was a blessing. Anything, any challenge in life I see as a blessing, no matter how challenging, because God can make good come of anything if we're willing to participate with, with his plan. And that was a real big challenge. But, but we got through that. And, yeah. and then 18 months after Luke came along, Joshua came along. And then about 18 months after Joshua, Daniel came along. And then Emily, then Madeline. And then we actually had a miscarriage, which was really challenging. Um, so the older kids were old enough to know what was going on at that point. And it was really hard to tell them that, no, this baby's not coming home with us and that Jesus wanted him back home again. Um, sorry. Mm. Yeah. No, no. yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a real challenge for the family. And I think it hit me harder than it even hit Anne, at least outwardly showing. Uh, um, I don't know how, I don't know if Anne would share that sentiment if she was telling about how she felt inside, but it was a real challenge. And yeah, I suppose at that point you question have we got all the children we're going to have? Are we able to go through that again if something goes wrong again? And so when, um, when we felt pregnant again, um, as much of a blessing as it was, there's now that concern, is, is something going to happen again? I don't think I could stand something happening again. But, you know, in, in faith, you just you keep walking and you, you see what God's plan is. But, but um, yeah, 
thanks be to God, Angelica arrived safely and, and she's named after Mother Angelica at EWTN. Wow. <laughs> and um, yeah, she's, you know, another blessing in our lives. They just make you smile. But um, And then since then, we're now expecting another one. We found out the other day that they tell us it's a girl. Congratulations. Um, sometimes these ultrasounds aren't particularly conclusive, but they tell us we've got another girl on the way. So it'll be three boys and then four girls. Wow. So good. yeah, in a few months' time. So looking forward to that. Mm. How, how um, struggles and pain and suffering can turn into a blessing as well. You still um, have each other, you've got your family and you... And, and it and, is such a blessing yeah, because child in heaven. Uh, we have faith in, in God's justice and that child that we don't have with us is safely home yes. in some capacity. I mean, to what level of heaven and how heaven's structured, who knows? Mm. We're never going to know. We can speculate and scholars will speculate, but we believe that that child is safely home. Yeah. Mm. And the children, we pray to Emmanuel. We've named that child Emmanuel. We pray to Emmanuel every night in our prayers. We are, we pray to certain patron saints, depending on where we are in our lives. And at the moment, we're praying to St. Jared Magella every night, the patron mm. of um, expecting mothers. And But no matter who we're praying to, Emmanuel gets a mention every night as well. So Emmanuel's part of our family. Yeah, praise God. Wow. No, that's important. Uh, we, we should continue the story as well in your career path because you, you then did leave uh, the Catholic Development Fund. I left the Development Fund where we were expecting Daniel, who was number three. And I did. I left with nothing to go to. I felt I, I had a better understanding of my faith, but still, I would have to say, very basic. But I knew that the bitterness was not helping our family. I had mm. such a bitterness. I hated going to work. And that's a powerful word, but it's the appropriate word. I hated going to work, even though I was going to work for the Catholic Church, because to me, it didn't feel like there was enough church in there to say you're working for the church. It felt like I was just working for a big business. Mm. And that could have just been my perception of it. I mean, I, I might have that completely wrong. A and I know that, like I said before, there are great people working there doing great things. And, and maybe my experience was just one of those experiences that, uh, all right, it didn't, the glove didn't fit anymore and I needed to move to something else. But, um, but we were seven months unemployed um, with, number, months. with number three on the way. And that was daunting. And... Um, how did you survive? Well, that's where Perusia comes in because for that time, that's when I had not long before that, I had discovered the, the CDs that, that you guys at Perusia were making and they were being sold at various different outlets and I got my hand on some of these CDs and I thought these are great. Scott Hahn, Steve Ray, yeah, um, yeah. all of these speakers and and so, you know, we'd regularly get the next one and regularly get the next one. And then on the back, uh, in, the, in the audio intro, it says, if you'd like to become a, a lighthouse representative, um, then get in touch with them in Sycamore in Illinois. So I did that. And uh, we started chatting about what I could do. And then they pointed me to this guy, Charbel in Australia. I thought, I know a Charbel in Australia. I wonder if it's him. And it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So there's more than one Charbel. And I've learned there's a lot more than one yeah, Charbel oh, yeah. in Australia. <laughs> Mate, go to Punchbot. Go near where, where the Bulldogs are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But yeah, so that's where they got me in touch with you. And and then I started um, getting supply from you to start supplying the parish. And we'd set up afternoon teas at home where we'd have the CDs all laid out and we'd invite people around to come and stock up. And, and that was definitely not covering costs and we were eating into our savings, but it was something that we could actively do mm. that was contributing a little bit. And um, yeah, that's when I really started finding... Um, how lacking my faith was in understanding of it was when I started listening to these people talking about it. And, um, yeah, and throughout that time period, I then, after that seven-month period, I got a job working in retail uh, in church stores, which is a, a church retail store in the city where they sell um, priest vestments and church furnishings and church supplies, your candles, your wafers. And and I loved it. I really, really loved yeah. it. I, I didn't know how I would go in that retail setting, and, but 
there were some, once again, I've, I've been blessed where I work. There have been really fantastic people and there still are. The, the people I was working with, a lot of them are still there and they do a fantastic job. Church doors, um, services, all Christian denominations. So I got to know a little bit about some of the, the Protestant denominations as well and, and how they operate. And um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed my time there. And while I was there, I just continued selling the CDs where I could and as, as we mentioned in your previous podcast, in your story, we met up at the Proclaim conference in right. end of 2014 or 2015. I can't even remember when it was, but but we met up there and I, I flagged the idea, hey, if you've ever got any work, I'd, I'd love to do it just because I was really enjoying what I was learning from these CDs. Um, and that's, that's the only format I was looking at at the time um, and at, at service what I was looking for, but I was really yeah. enjoying it. I really felt like I was starting to grow in it and stories were inspirational of, of other people. And I really developed a connection with the power of somebody's story that it doesn't matter who they are. Everybody's got a story and that story can touch somebody else's life in such a powerful way at some point. And so I really enjoyed listening most of all to the conversion testimonies, but then it branched out into the apologetical and then into the, the formational, the spiritual. And um, yeah, after our meeting at Proclaim a few months later, um, you said you, you've got work and, and would I be happy to come along and and just coincidentally, the office at this time for Parisia is now located in the school that I used to go yeah, to, which there right. was no connection to that before. But all of a sudden, you've got an office set up in the school I used to go to. So I come in here on day one, and I was part-time at the time. And we started with the Deacon Harold Tour in 2015 in August. Yes. was the first thing I did. He came about a week after I started. Mm. So baptism by fire, well and truly. Yes. <laughs> Thrown right in. But, um, but yeah, so I started here, and I'm seeing all these teachers that were all teaching here when I was here. They look a little bit older, a little bit grayer. <laughs> um, maybe I did that to them who knows but but yeah so like like you said in your own testimony working at the school you used to attend and you, you're calling them sir and mr this and mr that and so i still haven't yeah, gotten out of that habit like some of them i, I still like <laughs> but but yeah so you get used to it over time i suppose but i'm still taking some time but, he, but then here we were at redfield and i was working part-time with parisia and part-time at church stores um while i was actually training up my soon-to-be sister-in-law to take my job at church stores um and then as of october of that year i went full-time uh, in, in at Perusia and been full time since October 2015. Yeah, what a journey! It's been amazing. Yeah, having you and yeah, um, we're, we're going up to five years um, full time. Full time um, five years this year. That's yeah, right. Which has been been. I don't think great. we even had any. I was the first full timer because you first weren't even full time at that point because no, you were no, you were still right. teaching. That's right. And so yeah, learning the ropes and and it was you and and Salwa Elias who's been around for so long helping us in yes. this ministry and she just does amazing work and simon carrington was in and out at the time as well still yeah. doing little bits here and there and at the same time possibly discerning branching out on his own and yeah and it has, hasn't he done great we've got to get him on the podcast absolutely oh, yeah, because yeah. he's mm. he's flourishing in his he's a at the ministries. moment yeah, yeah they're, they're going great. from strength to strength and yeah hopefully reaching more and more people each year like we plan to be doing but um, but yeah so it was a small team at the time and I started learning the the production side of things, the CDs and the and the DVDs back in the time, and and um, working on the events and the, the crazy schedule that we set for yeah. events, and yeah, it was it was challenging because um, I live nowhere near here. I live an hour and a half away from here, so it was three hours travelling every day just to get to work and home again. So um, we've now got an office further in Western Sydney, which makes that a little bit easier. Yeah. So I, I do a couple of days a week there, but but you know there was a strain, even though I was enjoying the work for the first time. Um, in a long time, other than that little short stint at the church doors, I was really enjoying the work that we were doing. And um, yeah, it was still challenging because there are kids now, I've got wife and kids and 
there's the the family considerations that you've got to make as well. But yeah, we we, yeah. we found a way since then for the last five years to make it work. Fantastic. Well, we should um, just a quick insight, and maybe maybe some highlights. A uh, bit of fa- family life. It must be very busy. It's how old's the oldest? Child the oldest, Lucas, is nine, turning ten in October this year. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. give give our listeners, viewers, a bit of insight about what home life is like with that many kids, so young. Um, yeah, well, that, when, yeah, when our fifth yeah. was born, it was five, five and under. Yeah, wow. Um, so it was it was chaotic, and we're we're homeschooling as well. Anne was homeschooled, and we've decided that as long as we're able to be the teachers, we want to be the primary educators of our kids, and um, so we're going to do that as long as we possibly can. And, and because I'm out working full time, Anne takes the brunt of that. Amazing. So um, it's a challenge, and having to work out the curriculums and having to to make sure that. The eight-year-old child is able to do their work while the three-year-old is running around and hopefully not distracting them. And it's, it's hard. I, and I, I don't know. It's a double. Um, there's a yes. Yeah, it's almost like a double cross. You know, the first one is, uh, yeah. When you have so many kids, it's it's quite difficult, and you're carrying your cross. It's joyful, of course, but but then when you're homeschooling as well, there's this mm. added responsibility that you're always on. It, no it, it is a joyful. It is definitely a cross. I give you that. It's a, it's a cross, but it is definitely a joyful cross. And I, th- I think I read the read the other day. I can't even remember whose quote it was, but um, there you go. I haven't done my research. No, I, I can't <laughs> remember whose quote it was, but the quote was something to the effect of, "When Jesus offers you the cross to follow him and carry him, to carry that cross with him, if you say not that cross, I'll choose my own cross, you'll find that not only is it a bigger cross, but it's heavier because he's not carrying it with you." And that that's, to me, that's really profound. And yeah. there are always going to be crosses in life. And I, I've actually gotten into the habit, and I know you raised your eyebrow once when you heard me do it, of praying for the next challenge to come my way. <laughs> because I feel we're going to grow from the challenges. And so long as we're up to the challenge and with God's help, we will be, we will grow from those challenges. And if we get that's a time where we think, oh, finally we're on top of it and everything's good and, and we get complacent, that's when the next challenge will knock us over. So I look forward to the next challenge. I don't, I don't, um, it's not one of these weird things how I, I'm not satisfied until there's a challenge in my life, but I don't fear the challenges like I used to. And I'm trying more and more to embrace the challenge and, and to think of it from that perspective. And that, that, that I read the other day that if we take the cross that Christ has offered us to carry, then he's carrying it with us. But if we ignore it, then we're carrying it by ourselves and chances are it's heavier because we picked one too big for us, whereas he knows what we're capable of. So that that really brought that home to me just the other day. So, but but family life it's it's challenging. It's noisy. It's chaotic. Hmm. I wouldn't have it any other way. Maybe a little less noisy sometimes. <laughs> but but it Few, is fewer nappies. It is a ble- well yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, our kids are all toilet trained very early. So even oh, our one year old's pretty good. Yeah, so. I'm I'm still blown away about how early you train your kids. Yeah. So straight away, <laughs> as early as you can, you get the idea like that as early as six months. Yeah, if you can. Obviously, they wow. they very much need help at that point because they're hardly holding their, their neck up at that time and they're just sort of starting to, to get that strength. But mm. but as early as you can and the earlier you teach them, the earlier they learn it. So wow. kids are sponges. They take everything in. And that's another thing that I've learned is not only do they take in the good things, they take in all the bad things. So if you ever think you're a wonderful person, you've got it all made, just look at your kids' bad behavior one day and you think, where did they learn that? They've probably got that from me in some way, shape or form. And, and they they just parrot everything you say and they're a mirror for you. They they keep you honest, well and truly. Absolutely. But family yeah. life's great. At the same time, it's challenging. It, we love it. We wouldn't have it any other way. We're looking forward to the to the next child's arrival. I need to buy a new car because yeah, the current van's not big enough. And yeah, so it comes mm-hmm. with its challenges, but it's fantastic. Big families. The best gift you can give your kids is brothers and sisters. So 
Yeah. You know, we, we know that. As we, we sort of knew, we're being in a pro-life environment, we're knowing other fellow Catholics and big families. But what's it like when you aren't in, you know, you go out into a secular environment, you may be going shopping or, or anywhere out in the public, and, and a lot of people who think, you know, even two, you cap it at two, that your hands are full then, mm, you get the boy, the girl, the you're done. <laughs> but, um, but even then, now it's one. Sometimes it's even none. People are now saying, you know, we don't I need children. But what's it like uh, out in the public for you, you do, guys? You get your derogatory you comments and little comebacks that yeah, you have. You, that are you get derogatory comments and and yeah, people will look down at you. But it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's kids or anything you're doing. If if you're living the Catholic faith, you, you can't expect to be loved by everybody because there are so many people that are out to get you uh, in mm. this day and age. But but yeah, you, you get your comments. You you just ignore them um, as much as possible. And 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 where you can, where you can see that the person's receptive, you you engage them as much as you can. Mm. So I've actually, I've actually told someone who said, oh, you had enough? You're going to stop anytime soon? I said, well, why would I? The best thing I can give my, my kids is brothers and sisters because they're going nice. to grow up and they're going to be so close. They're so close in age. They're going to fight like cats and dogs, but they're going to be so close at the same time because after the fight, they're best friends again. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't see the need to say, right, that's one for five years. Let's, let's reinvestigate this in five years. I, I don't see that. I don't see that as putting faith in, in God's plan for us. And if, if we're not capable of, of bringing another child into the world, then God won't send us one. And that's not uh, an irresponsible. People will call me irresponsible for saying that, oh, you're putting the Lord to the test. You're really testing. You make sure he holds up his, his end of the bargain. But, but I see that not as a test. It's faith. I, if if yeah, we're not to have another child, faith. then he's in control of that. Absolutely. Um, mm. There's never been, like we're a good Catholic family raised up. We, we're taught against contraception. We've had never, ever had a consideration um, of any form of use of contraception. And even when you're, you're in the hospital and, and after the baby's born and they, they're checking up on you and they give you all the sheets, now try this contraception and that contraception, as if, to say, as if it's well, normal. Yeah. As if it's normal. And you think, how did people get to that point? How did people become such a slave to the system that they're letting the system tell you that that's normal? And that's really, really frustrating. And so I suppose you can get a sense of the, the tone of the person speaking down to you, whether they're going to be receptive to a reply or if you just smile and laugh it off and keep walking. And so wherever possible, engage them, call them out on it, because it's amazing how many times someone will take a step back and they'll realise that they're just parroting what someone else is saying. They don't really believe it and they've got nothing to base it on. And then it might make them think, well, mm. maybe I do need to rethink that for myself. But if you don't challenge them on it, if you don't call them out on it, in charity, not, not to speak back down to them, but in charity to call them out on it, who knows what an impact that can make in their life. And even that, it makes me think of that story of um, Mother Teresa. And there was, I can't even remember who it was, but he opened the door and knocked this old nun down. And it was Mother Teresa there on the floor. And he's like, oh, Mother, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you there. And she's got up and she basically said, don't worry, Jesus obviously wanted us to meet today. <laughs> and that was her response. Like, she saw every interaction as an encounter with someone, not just as an interaction. So if we treat the, that, that encounter that we have with everyone as an opportunity to, to let Christ shine through us, then who knows what can happen? And, and we leave that in God's hands and let the That's Holy fantastic. Spirit work. But never miss the opportunity. So if someone wants to snap at us and have a, a rude comment or a sarcastic derogatory comment, if, we, if we're replying kind, it's not going to achieve anything. If we ignore them, it's not going to achieve anything. Sometimes it might be um, the right option if you can really send this person, this isn't going anywhere. But wherever possible, if we interact with them and have that encounter with them even a step further, then the Holy Spirit can take over. We've planted that seed.
And who knows if that seed's going to, to sprout in the next day, the next year, the next 10 years, but a seed's been planted and they may remember that encounter when something in their life triggers them to be in great struggle or despair or whatever and, and something might trigger. So, yeah, always look for the opportunity. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Mark, you mentioned um, that when you left school, you know, your dad said to keep up the spiritual reading and lately you've been sort of trying to keep that up a little bit more. What have you been reading lately? Tell us. Lately. Mm. I've been reading a lot of the Parisia books that oh. I read the blurb and Easy say, my ears. That's That's that looks good. And and I only ever got that far because I do so much listening to the audios. Mm. When am I going to actually sit down and read a book? Mm. Um, but just lately, into last into last year and into this year, I've really enjoyed sitting down. I've read um, Jason Evert's book on Saint John Paul the Great, which what, is what an a, amazing a read, and I what highly highly recommend that to everybody. Oh yeah. And um, I've read uh, Scott and Kimberly Hahn's Conversion Testimony, Rome Sweet Home. I've heard the CDs to that multiple times. I just love listening to them. I, I love mm. stories. I, I've heard it a million times. I love listening to it. But reading it again, it's that much better again. Yeah, I, I really yeah. love that story. So I've been reading that. Um, Fatima for Today um, by Father Apostoli. I think he passed away a couple of years ago. That's right. But, um, but that's a, a fantastic look at um, Our Lady of Fatima and the apparitions broken down, apparition by apparition and the meaning from each and, and, and how we can relate that to our lives today. Um, no Greater Love, I'm reading at the moment. I started it two days ago and I'll finish it probably tonight. It's one of those books that is really hard to put down. It's Dr. Edward Shree, A Biblical Walk oh, Through okay. Christ's Passion. It's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be writing a blog about that uh, for the for the Prusia blog upcoming for the for the month of February leading into Lent, it's a fantastic program. I've been watching some of the videos. It's a fantastic program to be doing um, heading into to Lent. So, yeah, a really really interesting way of, of linking the Old Testament prophecy into Christ's passion and seeing it all played out live there in front of us and. And just a simple comment or a simple gesture of, mm. of the high priest standing up or any of this sort of stuff, those gestures all have such meaning and they're all written there in the gospel for a reason. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really enjoying that. That's why I'm going to have it finished in three days in and amongst work and family. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And, uh, yeah, there's other stuff that I've been reading. So, yeah. Yeah, as we close and, and wrap up here, but you've been also by going through the Exodus 90. I've been I doing Exodus 90. You share a little bit about your experience there. I think it is probably the best spiritual thing I've done in, in my life for a long time, um, if ever as far as that's, just that's, just wow. something yeah. to to refocus my spiritual life. My, what, what is it for those who don't know? For those who don't know, Exodus 90 is a program that is designed to um, reflect upon the Exodus uh, book of the Bible, reflect on the Israelites and their... Uh, their enslavement in Egypt, and they got in their in their slavery there to the point where it's almost too hard to try and fight for their freedom. They're so comfortable in what they've got that they're just not even willing anymore to fight for their freedom. And then fast forward to where we are in the culture today: what are we actually slaves to? What what is enslaving us in in the world today? And um, it's it's a program for men. So it's it's basically saying as we reflect on the Exodus story. It, how, have we got similar things in our life, whether it be social media is a big one, whether it be um, food, whether it be pornography, whatever it is, what is it that men have got in their lives that they are slaves to, but they are so comfortable in that slavery that they're just not willing to fight for it and to fight for their freedom. And this program is designed to help us to basically rediscover who we're called to be and to break free of the slavery that's that's got us in its grasp and to to basically lead our families um lead the church i mean priests can do it too like mm. just to 
to read like I said, rediscover who we're supposed to be. And, and within that, there's a, there's a few requirements. There's, um, there's the asceticism requirements. There's the cold showers every day, which I'm not enjoying, but I'm offering up. There's, there's the, um, the dietary requirements. There's no snack eating. It's your three square meals a day. There's the no alcohol, no flavored coffee, just black coffee, black tea. There's, there's no sweet drinks. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of no's in yeah. there, like, but they're for the, for the purposes of being able to say no to ourselves, yeah, yeah. to let somebody else be in control rather than us say, oh, I really need to have that snack. I really need to have that beer. I really need to have that bottle of Coke rather than just give in to that all the time and then realize, oh, hang on, I'm a slave for that because I can't not have it now. I need it. I just, and to the form of addiction. And so to be able to turn your back on that, um, no television, no social mm. media, no music, unless it's music that can lift you to God. Um, so there's a lot of no's, but in addition to that, there's a lot of positives. And my, by the way, the no's are positive no's. Yeah, yeah you're breaking mm. free, as you said, yeah. from slavery and you're um, free from those things because you can say no to them. Yeah. If you can't say no, you're not Then you're a, you're a slave to it yeah, and, the, and you're comfortable in your slavery because you think, I want that more than I want to be free from that. Yeah. And that's when it's a real problem. Some of the other things you do, it, really, it's improved my prayer life out of sight. There is a requirement for a holy hour every day. And as much as I'd like to admit I was trying to do that anyway, realistically, I wasn't. But now I see the need for it because I'm, I'm actually dying for it by the next day. So how, what is a holy hour and how do you do it just for those? Uh, so a holy hour is time separate to the world, shut the Lord off around you, time with our Lord, preferably in, in adoration of, of um, the Blessed Sacrament, if, if possible, but if not, even in a church, mm. if, if Christ isn't exposed on the altar, even in the tabernacle, tabernacle he's yeah. still there. But even if you mm. can't get that, pick a spot where you're detached from the world, you can basically spend that hour with God. And whether that hour is is in prayer, whether that hour is in spiritual reading, whether that hour is in silence. And it's recommended that all three of those fit into that hour somewhere because all three of them are essential. Um, it's just spending time with our Lord where you're not distracted by anything else in the world. And to me, that has just been such a an eye-opening experience of I'm now forming a relationship with someone I thought I knew, but I never did. And, or at least I, I knew of, but didn't know personally. And so now that we've got this... Um, this structure, I've said no to my structure. I've said no to the way I comfortably do it and claim that I'm doing a good thing and I'm letting somebody else take control. I'm letting this particular program guide me and I'm seeing, hey, maybe I wasn't doing it the best way I could have been doing it. And so there's that. There's daily scripture readings which are, which are shared with everybody in the group. Um, there's also, uh, it doesn't work by yourself. You can't do this program by yourself. You have to do it in a, a fraternity. And so whatever the size of the group, whether it be three or 30 people, mm. you have a group discussion every week. Everyone touches base. Everyone reports back how they've gone through the week. Make it a bit easier. And then in addition to that, one person in that group is assigned to you as what they call your anchor. And you, you actually touch base with that person, whether it be message, call, every day. And so you're keeping each other honest. You're keeping each other on track. If someone has a bad day, you pick them up and you carry them for a bit. And if you have a bad day, you have to expect that someone else is going to help you with that as mm. well. Um, so, yeah, there's... It's, it's such a powerful program. And I, I look at it, I think, yeah, I'd like to do that. That sounds good. And I actually, I was invited into it this year, the day before, and you're supposed to do a bit of preparation. And I was going to say, oh, no, I, I won't do it this time. I'll do it next time. Good luck. And, and when I, I was, there's a voicemail left on my phone by my brother-in-law. And I phoned him back with all my spiel ready to get out of it. And I find myself saying, yeah, I'd love to. I'm thinking, where did that come from? So I wasn't even going to accept the invitation. And for some reason, I said yes anyway. And I'm so grateful that I did wear 17, 18 days through at the time of this wow. recording. And, mm. and it finishes Easter Sunday as my first day of freedom. 
as, wow. as they say. So, but no, it's it's a wonderful journey so far, even in the first nearly three weeks. And as challenging as it is, I'm really not enjoying the challenges, but at the same time, I'm loving them. If that makes sense, I'm, I'm really, yeah. really loving. You know that they're good for you. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I can already see the fruits coming from it. And there's so much more to go. And that, the, the finish line feels a long way away. It's basically like doing Lent twice. Yeah. And another one of them is is every. Um, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday is a fasting and abstinence day. Every so Wednesday and every Friday. So every, like, like Ash Wednesday and Good Friday would be, we've got that every Wednesday and every Friday through this program. Through the 90 days. And, yeah. and so they're just challenging you beyond what you would normally comfortably allow yourself to be mm. challenged because it's not about allowing yourself insofar as just, all right, I'm not even going to have a say in this. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. It's another step again. And yeah, I, I'm finding it fantastic. So wow. I highly recommend it. Next time the program is run, just look up Exodus 90, just Google it and, and find the details and, and register yourself or your group because yeah, I, yeah, I, it I is think it's... Yeah. I was blessed to do it last year. You're doing it this year. I think it's your turn next year, Phil. And I'm, I'm actually <laughs> no. doing it this year as oh, well. Phil's well, doing it too. There we go. So, you, got, you know... I was going to say you're not in the same network with no different network different. in the same fraternity. Okay. I'm doing it with a group of UTS students. Oh, well done. We'll speak How are you finding it? In, um, in, in the next episode. But, we'll um, dive in a bit more about yeah. that with you. But I was going to say that it's, it's really interesting to see the, the contrast that Exodus sort of sheds between slavery and freedom. Yeah. You know, these things that the world would see as, you know, us being a slave to all these different asceticisms that we're doing, really they're, they're setting us free, you know, in giving up... Um, you know, time spent in front of the television or snacking between meals. It's in saying no to those small things um, that we gain a freedom to, to be able to do what we really want to do when we want to do it. Those things which we know in our mind are good, but we might be slaves to other things, so we, we don't actually do them. A perfect like, example of that. We were just talking about how much more reading I'm doing lately. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't doing this program, I would have probably spent a lot more time watching cricket over the summer and getting ready to watch the football and, and all the stuff that might be good once or twice, but yeah. I'd formed a bit of a habit. But because I'm not doing that, how much more time do I have for spiritual reading, even outside so what I would do in the holy hour? That's why I'm going to finish a pretty big book in three days because <laughs> mm. I've got time that otherwise would have been wasted. I can share that time with the family. I can share that time with things that are more beneficial as well. So... Yeah, this is amazing. I think, uh, is there anything else you want to share uh, as we wrap up? No, nothing, no, nothing particularly interesting about me. I'm <laughs> because you, um, I mean, <laughs> thank you, you opened up right there. We've got a snapshot of your life, things that we didn't know, learned for the first time. And um, it's just so good to to see the, the person behind Mark Griffin, the operations manager at Perusia, and, um, and yeah, the struggles you've had and you've gone through and overcome and, and, and trusting in God along the way and, and how your faith's just blossomed and and your spiritual journey is still just getting deeper and deeper, and, and, and this is amazing. Um, so thank you for sharing all no, that. Thank you. It's actually, I've, um, I've never been interviewed like this before. It's actually yeah. more challenging than I thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm normally oh, yeah. the guy on the other end of the yeah, microphone. Now you know so. how I feel. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're next, Phil, so you look oh, out for look this. Look out, that's right. <laughs> Everybody can look forward to that for, for next week. Um, I'll, I'll be telling you a little bit about myself. That, that'll be good Looking fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, if you have any other questions for us, you can contact the podcast at content at perusiamedia.com so if you want to get in contact with the show go through there any fan mail you know nice compliments advice yeah tips, yeah so. advice any anything um questions that you have that we might be able to answer on air about you know how perusia works or um why we chose the mugs we chose yeah that yep. sort of stuff i thought it's providential mark at the ewtn <laughs> angelica yeah. mother, mother angelica. angelica that's right yeah well thank you phil 
Shamel. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you for those watching. Please share, spread the word. And looking forward to the next show, we'll be up with Phil, Philip Brooks. Um, that's Philip with two L's and Phil with one L. Yep. That's so, right. so they say. That's an inside joke and we'll, you gotta, you got to tell us why a bit <laughs> yeah. later. Just thank you. <laughs> wait, wait until next week. Pray for us. All right, God bless. Yeah.